Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman. PK, how are you? Absolutely fabulous. It's overcast. I pray for rain, but I know it's not going to happen. It just feels good. The the clouds over the sun, that's all. (laughs) Giving us false hope. Jeez. Oh, my goodness. Well, here we are on May 26th. Where has the time gone? I, it's going too fast, yeah. isn't it? Wish so a we're going to check in a little faster. We've got a better outcome of what we're going to be looking at. But really? that's just by wish thinking. So we're going to well, check in with you in just a second. But I wanted to tell everybody, this show is going to be great. It's, we are going to delve into real disclosure with the best person in the world to talk to about all of this, and it is author and expert Robert Luca. He's with us tonight, and we're so grateful to have him with us because, as you know, the Pentagon Report is supposed to be out June 1, and we're very interested to hear what Bob has to say about this report and many other things involving UFOs and disclosure. So we're going to bring Bob on in just a few minutes. But, PK, please tell us, what's going on with the numbers? What what can we well, expect? We, We've heard a lot of rumors lately about big shocks coming and all kinds of things oh, going on. Yeah. What do you think's happening? Well, firstly, we had a moon eclipse today, all right, on the 26th. And it's getting ready. It's preparing us for this shadow period that's going to start. But May 15th was the start of the shadow period, but between the 29th of May and the 22nd of June, we are in retrograde, and so everybody's got to hang on to their side of their chairs and ride this one out, because anything to do with communication can, and is not only can, but will get out of control, because it's a two-time, with everybody is overly sensitive, and Gemini rules Mercury, which is all about communication, and here we are at a point in time when communication is going to go backwards. So it's going to be delays in travel. Read carefully any contracts or anything that's written because it's not going to really be what you think it is. We're going to have to really pay attention to what's going on. Anything that you can say face-to-face is best, but know that anything you send out, the odds are it will be misinterpreted, things will get lost. Numbers are going to get transposed. This is going to be one heck of a time when it comes to communications of all forms. So be very cautious about what you read, what you see, and what you think you see. 
I wish I could say it was going to be nicer, but I really don't think so. Whether it's written or verbal, expect something to get messed up. When so, does that period end, PK? Unfortunately, not until the 22nd of June. Wow. we got yeah. a long mm-hmm. run with that. That is for sure. That is for sure. And the thing is, we're at a point in time when, when as we go into June, it's going to be a two universal one, so it's all about sensitivity, partnerships, relationships, uh, misinterpretations of what we think we hear, because the year is all about major changes. And the month says, I think I'll just sit back and maybe it'll be taken care of for me, but it's not going to. It's going to create a lot of self-doubt, and you're going to feel like you're carting all this stuff on your on your back. It's just, it's the see and be seen element is, if you see it, the odds are it's not what you think you're really looking at. And it's going to be the same thing with all of our communications. So expect there to be some kind of a breakdown with the communications coming up throughout the month of June. Okay. Things are going to get lost, now, turned around, and gosh, if you're dealing with anything legal, if you can postpone it, postpone it. Yeah. Just to be on the now, safe side. One other thing that you know we've had William Stickovers, an astrologer, on the show several times. He's been very accurate. And we saw the post from him recently on Facebook where he said, June is going to deliver a big shock. He didn't elaborate. He didn't say anything more. And, of course, we all questioned him what is going to happen. But so far we don't have any details on that. Now, do you think that's related to the retrograde, or do you think that is the possibly disclosure, or what do you think this could be? I think it's going to be a little bit of two or three different things that we're going to get faced with. I think the fact that everyone is going to be dealing with the miscommunication, that's where we're going to get into trouble. And when that takes place, as we well know, it's like that old-fashioned game telephone, one person mm-hmm. says this, the other says that's what they hear, and the next thing you know, we're in one heck of a mess. It really bothers me considering what our world, uh, shall we say, the world elements are ongoing. Uh, I don't. It's hard to trust anything or anybody right now. Whether uh, European countries are going, we're all going through this. We're all riding the same boat. So anything to do with it, we're all just holding on tight, and it's it's going to be a crapshoot. Mm. That's the nicest wow. way I can put it. It's terrible. Okay. People you are going to get ready. Which is going to make them very insensitive. And you know what? You hit me with that stick, well, I'll hit you with my stick harder. You know, it's going to be mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That's why I'm okay. concerned about our universal countries playing pretty or trying to play pretty. Well, plus everybody's looking forward to the end of this so-called pandemic and they're looking to travel in June and go back to living a more social life. So the, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Because we we are we also heard a few things we're going to be discussing tonight, and one of them mm-hmm. is a fake alien invasion. But we're going to get to that. We'll get to that with Bob. But thank you, PK, for sharing all of that. And now we know what to beware of as we move forward. So tonight we are discussing disclosure with our dear friend, author and expert, Bob Luca. Now, 
there isn't anybody better because he also became a target of the government. So when the Andreasen Affair, which was a New York Times best-selling book, when it was about to be released, Bob and his wife Betty Andreas and Luca learned the hard way that they had become the target of our own government. Now they were, when the book came out, they were shadowed everywhere, everywhere they went. The government, meanwhile, was denying the existence of UFOs and aliens, all the while tracking UFO experiencers for years. So Betty mm-hmm. and Bob went on to write another book, A Lifting of the Veil, and a third book is in the works entitled The Hunted. So with the supposed disclosure report coming out from the Pentagon by June 1st, we wanted to have Bob join us to share his thoughts on what truths will be told and what will remain hidden, how we're being directed and misdirected. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to such lovely, talented, and intelligent women. My pleasure. <laughs> He's wonderful. You're wonderful, Bob. <laughs> this is why we love Bob. <laughs> Well, oh, I my just goodness. like to tell the truth. <laughs> well, we like that, too. So, yes, Bob, I think everybody knows your background, but they may not realize all of the many ways that you have been involved in UFOs and alien encounters yourself. Certainly, um, you and Betty together have had experiences, but you just started off. Tell us a little bit about what has been going on with you, and also we'll go right into disclosure and everything else that you want to talk to us about tonight. I know there's quite a bit. We'll let you sure. start it well, off. Okay. Well, of course, both of us had our first encounters, at, uh, myself at five years old, Betty at seven years old. But it wasn't until the, uh, the book came out, the Andreasen Affair, which is mainly about Betty's uh, encounter in 1967, that was relatively new at the time. I believe the only other major one that had come out at that time was Betty and Barney Hill. So we were pretty much unsuspecting, never thinking that the government would take the kind of interest in us that they did or spend the kind of money uh, on us that they did. I, I wish they just gave me the money. I would have told them what they wanted to know. Exactly. Um, you know, <laughs> for years, and I, I mean years, the, the last, uh, it started in 1979 is when the government harassment started, and it never ended. It ran pretty much steadily up until 2004. And at that time, 2004, the Department of Defense uh, hacked my computer twice in 48 hours. It was hacked once uh, by the Army, and the second time, and this was a surprise, uh, by the Navy Space Weapons Division. Now, what they were looking for or thought they were going to find, I don't know, but to people that think I am kidding, uh, in the book, A Listing of the Veil, are copies of the documents that I mailed to the government and an admission back from them that, yes, it was their computers that attempted to hack my computer uh, 48 hours apart. Uh, in the meantime, in, 
in between all that, between 1979 and, and 2004, we were followed everywhere we went, um, either by uh, cars, and many times we caught the cars, got the license plates, turned them over to uh, police officers, and the plates came back as unissued, which means it was probably the FBI uh, or some other alphabet agency. Also, for years, anywhere we went, we were overflown low flights of black unmarked helicopters, no registration numbers. Uh, they were uh, illegally, uh, the path was illegal because helicopters, according to the Federal Aviation Administration, are supposed to fly 300 feet laterally away from buildings. And they were going right over our house. I mean, I have, I've taken pictures of them just looking straight up. And over the years, I had contacted the FAA. One person at the FAA told me, well, you know, he said, that, that sounds like a CIA operation. And I, I seriously doubted that the CIA would be involved at that time. However, at a later date, someone broke into our home about 2 o'clock in the morning and drugged both Betty and I. We both had the needle marks and the sore arms the next day to prove it. And that created a bit of a problem because I was going to call the police, but then again, the local police knew we were involved in the UFO phenomena, so what are they going to do? They're probably going to laugh at us. Right. So I called my doctor, and I said, hey, doc, I said, what about we run to the hospital, get a blood test, would that anything show up? And he said, no, it's too late. So, you know, there's nothing I could do to prove it. I mean, I took pictures of our arms, and, and Betty had a mark on her arm, um, kind of black and bluish in the middle, and a puncture mark, dead center. It was a circular uh, puncture on her left arm. She's right-handed. I had one on, uh, on my right arm. I'm left-handed. And it was obvious uh, that night, I actually woke up, and I heard two men in the kitchen. So I said, oh, this isn't going to go over. So I reached in my nightstand, and as I did, I saw our dog. We had a big German shepherd. He got up, and his both front legs just split like a Y in front of him, and he went down flat on his face. Meanwhile, I'm reaching in the, uh, my nightstand for my 38 pistol, and the next thing I knew, it was morning, and I had a wicked headache. And that, Betty got up, and she says, oh, my gosh, she says, I have a wicked headache this morning. And that's when we figured, okay, you know, she said her, her arm was sore all day, her left arm was sore. And at, this was after she got home from work. And I said, yeah, my right arm has been sore all day. That's when we took the pictures uh, to show up the spots where obviously we were we were stuck with something, probably sodium amethol or something like that. If they, if they wanted to question us under a drug, sodium amethol would be a good choice. However, they may have wanted something that we had in the house and just put us out to go rummaging through the house. I never know to knew, you know, till this day. However, I will say this, and I, I can't give you the person's name for obvious reasons, but an acquaintance. Um, was at a CIA meeting, and when he got back, uh, was out, the meeting was out of state. When he got back, he came to the house, and he took me outside. He wouldn't even talk to me in the house. And he 
explained to me, he said, you know, he says, uh, the CIA, uh, they were talking about you. He says, you best be very careful. And I appreciated that, but like I said, he would not talk to me in the house, and I can't use this fellow's name because he's quite, he's way up there in government. So the other thing that was interesting, it seemed not only our government was interested, but um, a fellow from the United Nations contacted Betty, and he, in fact, I still have his card today, he, he wanted her to write down everything she experienced and give it to him, which <laughs> she did not do. I mean, right. you know, she'd be writing for a week. So, oh, God, yeah. But that, uh, that was just part of it. They, they tapped our telephone, and that was proven um, because I, I purchased an electronic tap detector, and uh, we tried it on friends' telephones. It didn't show up anything. We put it on our phone and it showed a tap. Well, to verify this, on one occasion I was talking to Police Lieutenant Larry Fawcett, who was an investigator in our case. And we were talking and hung up, and he called me back about three minutes later. He says, Bob, you're not going to believe this. He says, before I hung up, he says, I heard somebody on the phone, and they asked if they got us on tape. And oh, my God. That, that was right from oh. Larry Fawcett. So, you know, the, the, it, and it didn't matter where we were. Um, we have relatives in Florida, and we go there often in the, in the winter. And they said they always knew when we were on the way down because they'd see the black helicopters oh. before we got there. So they knew that we were in the area. And they had a way to try to keep, I th- the government likes to use fear, you know, mm-hmm. to, to control people. Yeah. So on one occasion, we're driving down to Florida, and we stopped at this KOA campground. Now, nobody knew we were there because we didn't even plan on stopping there. But I was tired, so we pulled in, set up our little camp trailer, and we were there about 45 minutes or something like that, and someone came down from the office and said to Betty, oh, your son called. Well... This is impossible because nobody knew where we were. And then on another occasion, Larry Fawcett, Betty, and I were flying to Chicago to do some TV, the promotion for the book. We get to the airport, and I go up to the desk, and I said, uh, I'm Robert Luca, blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, oh, Mr. Luca's already boarded the plane. So I thought, well, you know, it's probably a relative or, or somebody with a similar name. So I said, no, I'm Mr. Luca from, and I gave him my address. And he said, yeah, he said, that's the fellow that boarded the plane. So I said, wait a minute. So Larry came over in the meantime. And we got it straightened out with the guy, got on the plane. Nobody was in my seat. But meantime, Larry, and this surprised me, he's on the plane, and he feels a, a pinch in his back, uh, on his upper shoulder, <laughs> he, he, he said he thought somebody jabbed him with a needle. Oh no! And apparently, yeah, apparently it was just a nervous, a nerve thing or something like that. Nobody jabbed him. Oh, <laughs> but he, he was God. getting, he was getting pretty paranoid. Well, and, yes. you know, Why not? They, they, yeah, they, they love to, uh, they try to instill fear in you because uh, you're easier to control. 
Um, another time, I, I had been flying, uh, I was up in Massachusetts, and I was flying back to Connecticut, and this is when we had a lot of helicopter activity over the house. Well, I'm flying along toward Connecticut, and coming in the exact opposite direction, there's three black Huey uh, UH-1 helicopters. So as we got closer and closer, I'm thinking, you know, am I going to have a, a student pilot accident? Is my airplane going to go down strangely or something like that? And they passed below me by about 500 feet, and that was the end of it. Nothing ever happened. But it just shows you how they can make you a little paranoid. But it doesn't really, uh, after a while, it didn't work on us at all. We just made a joke out of it. The uh, uh, Another occasion, we had gone to Florida, and I never was one for telling people where we were going, what we were doing. So on a Sunday night, about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, we left our home, went over to my friend's house where my trailer was stored, hooked up the trailer, and left for Florida. Well, Wednesday, two FBI agents show up at my work, and they want to know where I am. So obviously, they didn't never thought that we'd leave in the middle of the night, and they lost track of us. So when Betty and I got back from Florida, uh, my supervisor at work told me. So I took off the next day and went down to the federal building, Betty and I did. And we didn't even give them our name. We walked in and said, I'd like to talk to an agent. I understand you were at my place of employment. And that's all I said. Well, we took a seat, and in about pretty short order, three, four minutes an agent came out, talked to us, and the answer was, well, we can neither confirm nor deny that anyone was at your place of employment. Yet I have my coworkers and my supervisor who put in writing that the FBI agents were there. So, okay, so much for that. But I figured, hey, while we're there, uh, why, I asked the guy, I said, why are you guys tapping our phone? And it's, it's, it seems strange because he didn't even hesitate. He said, we usually get blamed for it. He said, but in your case, it's Air Force intelligence. Yeah. So apparently he was assuming that we had something to do with the UFO phenomena or something like that. Um, and the interesting thing is, I believe in the case with Betty and Barney Hill, uh, I believe they found that their phone was being monitored from uh, nearby Pease Air Force Base. So the Air Force, who always claims, or, or by this time claimed they didn't have a lot of interest in the phenomena, apparently did have a lot of interest in the phenomena. And that's the problem. You know, that's the problem right there. They speak out of, they speak with forked tongue. They speak out of both sides mm-hmm. of their face. On the one mm-hmm. hand, these things supposedly don't exist, uh, and they go out of their way to try to prove that people like you and Betty and Betty Hill and Barney are just nuts. But at the same time, well, they, they're they watching your every move. And they're doing it illegally, well, I might add, because you're not, none of you are oh, criminals. So they nope. really didn't have the legal right to tap your phones, to follow you, to certainly they didn't have the legal right to drug you in your own home. Mm-hmm. But yet yeah, they but did it with how, impunity. Yeah, but they justify it by saying, well, 
this concerns national security, and that gives mm-hmm. them an open line to do pretty much whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But see, at the same time, they were saying publicly UFOs pose no threat to the national security of the United States. So they're right. having it both ways. Right. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing if you're on that end. If you're on the other end, it's not so cool. No. No, because, yeah, I mean, because you could easily feel quite threatened by what they were doing. I mean, it's very intimidating to have black helicopters over your house, to be followed, to have your phones tapped. I mean, this isn't supposed to happen in a free country, which I question that even now if we have one. But back then, you know, this there was nothing that, that, that promoted uh, a fear of people who had alien experiences. There shouldn't have been any fear of that at all. But yet they were scared. They were scared enough to keep monitoring you. Oh, sure. Well, you know what what else was was really kind of hit me a little bit is there was a fellow who wrote a uh, book, uh, Black Helicopters Over America. And right now his his name escapes me. I think he was in his 40s at the time, and he contacted me and asked if he could use some of my pictures. So I said, sure, just give me credit for the pictures, and, you, you know, you can use what you want. And he put a couple in his book. Well, the man went skiing, and while skiing, he broke his leg. And, of course, they took him to the hospital, and he said, no, no. He says, I won't come out of here alive. He said, they'll kill me. Uh-huh. Uh, or, or I won't come out of here alive, I think was the exact statement. But anyway... So they took him, and a broken leg isn't that serious a deal. I mean, they fix him all the time. Well, guess what? He never came out of the hospital. He died oh from a broken leg. So, you know, that kind of puts fear into you. And even seasoned investigators, and I hate to pick on Larry because he's passed, but I have to tell you this. There was a place in New Hampshire that was having numerous uh, sightings of UFOs, and we were contacted by a fellow that was a, um, a newspaper man up there, and there was a police officer, and even um, uh, I think McCall's Magazine did an article on this. It was so unusual for the number of sightings they had and the number of people that had seen it. Well, we all went up there, and from time to time, Betty and I spent a lot of time up there during the summer months, and I never saw anything personally, but Larry and these two other fellows, a police officer and uh, the newspaper guy, went to this field that was probably about a 10, 12 miles maybe out, out of town. And it was rumored that aircraft were flying over there at night. So Larry and these other two fellows, a police officer and newspaper guy, parked there in the dark in their car, and lo and behold, after a short period of time, here comes this unusual lighted and unusual shaped craft over the horizon toward where they were. Well, here's armed investigators. What did they do? They started a car and they got the hell out of there. Oh, no. <laughs> I, said, I don't know what kind of investigation that is, but it seems to me it's not very thorough. I guess. You know, I, I, I guess when it, when, I guess when it's right in your face, it's a little different than, you know, talking about it or observing it at a distance. Um, oh, that's so true. There was another yes. thing that. 
Well, oh, yeah, there was another thing that surprised me. Most people know about Whitley Strieber's case, about communion. Yes. And about the beings that were up at his cabin there. Yes. Well, he was quite surprised because he invited Betty and I to come up to the cabin. And we said, great, yeah, we'd love to. And he he, he said, aren't you scared? <laughs> no, we're not scared. But he never followed through on it. We never got to go there. And oh. I was kind of hoping... Yeah, I, w- I would have liked to seen what those little blue guys looked like because they were a lot different than anything Betty or I had seen. Um, but, as I say, we, we never got to go up there, so that kind of took care of that. Oh, that's too bad. would have been interesting. That's, yeah. But, but that's what's so great about one of the many things that's so great about you and Betty is that you learned how to manage this. And also, both of you were very unflappable in the face of the alien encounters you had. So, um, again, you you had memory of it, and Betty was also able to draw so much of it so perfectly, the ships and the beings, and what they look like, what their uniforms look like. You know, and, and there wasn't any fear, you know, with either one of you. The fear no, no. came in when the government started bothering you. That's when the fear came in. Well, I said that many times when we did um, you know, various TV shows or radio shows promoting the book. They asked us about fear, what you're afraid of. And I said the government more than anything else. Right. Uh, I wanted to make sure that people knew that because I figured that was maybe a way of protecting us. You know, well, let, let people know that it was them that we were afraid of. And on... Uh, um, well, I think it was a Sally Jesse show. Uh, I admitted that I had tape-recorded conversations I had had with the Pentagon because, mm-hmm. let's face it, they were tapping our phone, so I thought that would be protection for us again because I don't think they were going to arrest me for doing that. And if they mm-hmm. did, it would look pretty bad on their side. Right. Uh, I yeah. still have conversations today that I had with the Pentagon where at one point... <laughs> I got a little bit under somebody's skin because mm-hmm. they told me, they, you know, they told me, look, no one here will talk to you, and that was the end of that. So apparently, I was getting to somebody. Yeah. But, you know, and, and when when this was going on heavy, and there were a lot of sightings, I wrote the president, uh, President Reagan, at the time. I wrote his, um, the guy that does the appointment scheduling, and I asked for an appointment to meet with the president to discuss what was going on with the UFO phenomenon and all. And, of course, it, it didn't take him but one letter to turn me down, you know, immediately. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, it, instead of us being afraid of them, things got turned around. Because I also called the CIA, and I said I was doing a book, which was a lie at the time. But I said, I want an interview and I, I want to discuss the UFO phenomenon and our involvement and your involvement and whatnot. They didn't even give me a reason. They just said, no, that's not going to happen. Simple as that. Nope. All done. No transparency uh, at all. Now, this this has been covered up for so long, and worse than covered up, because they put out so much disinformation about the people that oh. have come forward, about the events. And now, all of a sudden, though, things have started to change in the last few years. Um, they're not trying to dismiss this anymore. And I know I talked to John D'Souza, the former FBI agent, about that. And I said, why aren't yeah. they doing that anymore? And he said, because everybody's got a cell phone. 
and there's too many yep. people seeing this. So they just decided they can't do that anymore. They can't diss well, these I, people, and they can't dismiss it. I think you're going to find that that, that is true. However, I think what they're going to do, and they're going to manipulate this and use it to their advantage for to reach their own goals. Absolutely. Uh, we'll, I'll get into that. I'll get into that in a little bit. Yes. But they are not about, there's some things they are absolutely not about to give up, and it's not so much because of government, but my own personal belief is that it's for the large corporations that have all the money and, well, let's face it, I think there's, what, 80-some-odd corporations that control almost 80% of the world's money mm-hmm. when it comes down to that. Um, the people that control the money are the ones that will really lose the most if full disclosure ever happened. And I'm, I'm, we'll get into that when you wanna, whenever you want to start on it. Yeah, well, um, we can go there right now because, I mean, we are looking at a possible disclosure date of June 1. However, nobody trusts the government anymore if they have half a brain. And so everybody has been talking about what do you think they're going to tell us and are they going to tell us everything. Well, we know they're not going to tell us everything. That's for darn sure. But what do you think they're they're going to put in this report? I mean, is it going to be anything we didn't already know? Well, okay, I'm going to tell you. All right, I'm going to make this. This is going to be a little bit long-winded, okay? Please, go ahead. All right, we're going to go back to the beginning. For decades, this government has lied to us regarding the phenomena, okay? They ridiculed people that came forth honestly reporting their sightings or, in many cases, their abductions by other worldly beings. Now, they've gone as far as to intimidate people not to discuss their UFO-related experiences. And, for instance, you can bring up many airline pilots that had sightings of these craft wouldn't dare to report them because the, the first thing is going to happen, they're going to lose their jobs. Now, right. there's a real good a real good example of this uh, was occurred. It was a Japan Airlines flight 1628, which occurred in November 17, 1986. The flight was piloted by this guy, uh, Captain Tenyu Teriyachi, I think his name is, Japanese, okay? Mm-hmm. I probably killed it, but oh well. That's okay. Uh, now, the man had over 10,000 hours of flight experience, and this, the flight he was on was Japan Airlines cargo flight from Paris to Anchorage and then to Tokyo. It's about 5.09 p.m. In, in Alaska. At the time, they were about 100 miles northeast of Fort Yukon that the captain spotted what first looked like unidentifiable, unidentifiable light. You know, I got to tell you, I've been taking some painkillers because I injured my back Monday. Uh, Monday, so if my speech is a little funny, that's why. Um, okay, I don't well, want you're your doing fine. Right don't worry about it. You're doing fine. <laughs> well, I didn't want your I don't want your listeners thinking, oh, he's high or something because that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, people like to start rumors. That's um, right. Okay, <laughs> so he spotted uh, unidentifiable lights outside his side window to the left and below. So he contacted the Anchorage Center 
twice and asked if there were any aircraft in the area. The center responded that there were not. There were no aircraft in, in that area at the time. So the center did respond uh, that there were two small craft, or he responded there were two small craft spotted along with one huge one that, listen to this, was described as the size of an aircraft carrier. Now, our aircraft carriers today have a crew of about 5,000 people. Okay? Oh this is huge. It was bigger than the 747 airplane, much bigger than the 747 airplane he was in. So he said the UFOs played a cat and mouse game with them for almost a half an hour. These, this was recorded by the military, but guess what? The military refused to release their tapes. So John Callahan, who is an FAA division chief uh, of accidents and investigations branch in Washington, he was called in to talk to the press regarding the event. This is a very well-documented case that can be researched online and uh, should be there. Uh, there's much more to it than I'm putting here, but anybody can research it for themselves. But the whole point here is that after this highly qualified pilot made his report and it went public, he was assigned to a desk job. A man with 10,000 hours of flying time is assigned to a desk job. And the way I look at it, this is still due to policies that were put in effect back in the 1940s after Roswell. Okay? So, Definitely. let's go yeah. a little further. Yeah. So, this government, our government, has been worked overtime on spreading as much disinformation as possible um, so they could kind of muddy the waters for the UFO investigators uh, that were working hard to, to try to get to the truth you know, and bring it to the population, to, to the public. Now, I'd strongly suggest watching a video called Mirage Men. It's available on Amazon Prime. And in that video, you'll see a former U.S. Air Force person named Richard Doty. He was formerly with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. And in this video, he relates how he was ordered to intentionally spread false information. Now, I can verify this easily because back in the 90s, when I had filed Freedom of Information requests uh, on the OSI, I received some of his bogus documents. And I mean, some of them got people excited at first. I, one of them, a uh, soldier was hit by a laser from a UFO and it melted his gun and he got burns on his arm, had to go to the hospital. Well, this was total BS. And this, believe it or not, uh, what's her name? Uh, Linda Howe also got all cranked up over this document before she found out it was phony. But the thing is, he was doing this on a regular basis. And he also states in the video, or admits, there were times when he bought large bags of money to some media companies to prevent certain stories from reaching the public. Now, in this, uh, in this same video, yeah, this is, makes you feel real, real good about these people, doesn't it? No, uh, but in this same video, <laughs> yeah, great. he claims that the, the CIA and the National Security Agency personnel are embedded into many of the media outlets 
and it is they that determine what we will or will not see in our allegedly objective newscasts. So that's a pretty strong statement right there. And anybody can verify this. Uh, I think there's a book out on it, and there is that uh, video. And he's, he's come clean at UFO conferences and admitted that this is exactly what he did. Okay, so how does that have anything to do with the disclosure? So here we have it. We've got a government that's lied to us for decades, suppressed real information from reaching the public, even went as far as to intimidate people to keep quiet about what they may have witnessed, and they controlled the media flow of information on this subject. Now here, this government is allegedly now going to tell us the truth through disclosure. The question here is whose truth are they going to be telling us, and why now? Yeah. Who will this alleged truth benefit, them or the public? Now, my feeling is most of the serious researchers in the UFO field, they already know the truth and certainly don't need the government you know, to tell them what they already know. And already there's some things that strike me as a bit strange regarding the government's release of some recent information. Like I mentioned before, for one thing, the government has stated repeatedly in the past for decades UFOs pose no threat to the national security of the United States. Yet today, they are being studied as a possible threat by the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And here again, the key word seems to be threat. So, is this a way maybe of conditioning us so that we accept the false flag invasion that they may already have completed plans for? Also, they've dropped the title UFO in favor of UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Perhaps they're trying to disconnect from all of the BS uh, that they fed us in the past regarding uh, UFOs. So the real question here is, can this government be trusted to tell us the truth now? Or could they have a sinister motive for deciding to bring disclosure out now? Well, I'm going to go with the second one. What about you? I mean, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. All right. One thing that government has managed to do over the years is keep people in fear of enemies of the U.S., whether real or created, many times created. Okay? Fear is a powerful tool they can use to control the population. And for years have been created conflicts like Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, where many of our young men were sent off to fight and some to die. And for what? For oil? For control? Keeping the population in fear of these enemies? Well, what I'm going to suggest here may be even worse. So, they're going to tell us that aliens um, and their, these amazing craft are real, and that is supposed to make us feel satisfied that they finally got around to admitting what many of us has known for years. Now, what if the next phase of this disclosure is telling us that these aliens with their superior technology now have plans to invade the Earth? Ah, that should be enough to put fear into every living being on this planet. 
And this is also the time that they would stage their pre-planned false flag invasion of Earth. Uh, make no mistake about it, for your, your listeners, they have the technology now to pull this off, to pull this off successfully. They do have that technology. Right. So they do. What would be right? So what would be the point here? After this false invasion begins, we the public, which are supposed to be scared to death, we would look to our representative governments to protect us. And it's at that time that we would be told the only way we can defeat this invading alien force is to join forces as one species against them. Now, how would we accomplish that? You will be told this can be accomplished by us all coming together under a one-world government. And this may have been the plan for decades, as you will see. Um, I have another suggestion, too, for your listeners. Yes. And that is look up on uh, in your archives on Supernatural Girls. Look in the archives to find the show titled Our World and Off-World Updates with Captain Randy Kramer. Yeah. Uh, he is, a, yeah, well, you know, he's an alleged member of the Secret Space Force with insider information, and he seems to have the documentation to back up his claim. He is also the public relations officer for the United States Marine Corps. Now, on this show, on your show, he described the invasion of Earth by large reptoid creatures that have a sort of body armor and can only be killed by being shot in the head. Now, possibly this is another ploy to get us to believe in or expect this false flag invasion. Now, if he were the only one stating this, it would be easy, uh, you know, just to dismiss the claims. But if you take a look at statements made by none other than Werner von Braun, the German scientist who was brought to the U.S. under Operation Paperclip after World War II, you'll find that shortly before his death in uh, 1977, Werner von Braun, who was a pioneer in both German and U.S. rocket programs, warned that a group of global controllers, also known as Deep State, mm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It does. Systematically, yeah, would systematically move through a series of false flag events, or cards as he called them, that would be played in a sequence designed to ultimately militarize space and bring about a new world order. Okay? Von Brown gave his famous warning to Carol Rosen, who from 1974 to 1977, she was a corporate manager at Fairchild Industries, which is a major aerospace contractor that uh, Von Braun had joined two years or so earlier. She said that Von Braun asked her to be his spokesperson after being diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he revealed an elaborate plan by the U.S. military-industrial complex to weaponize space. In the recording, vid, recorded video interview from December 2000 for the Disclosure Project, Brosnan described the following sequence of false flag events that Von Braun had explained to her. The strategy that Werner Von Braun taught her 
was that the first, the Russians are going to be considered to be the enemy. And, of course, back in 1974 or so, they were the enemy, the identified enemy. Then we were told that they had killer satellites and we were told they were coming to get us and control us and that they were commies. And, of course, when the public hears things like that, they're a lot quicker to put forth money for military programs to make it easier for the government and obviously the military-industrial complex, which makes no money if there's no wars. Okay? That's right. All right, then the next, next thing he said, that terrorists would be identified and... We heard about a lot about terrorism not too long after that. And he said, we're going to identify third world country crazies, which today we call them nations of concern. But he said that would be the third enemy against whom we would build space-based missiles. The next enemy was asteroids. Now, it's funny how we've heard all these things, and yet he was saying this in 1977. Yes. So... The next, right, the next thing was asteroids. Now, at this point, he kind of laughed, and he said, asteroids. He said, against asteroids, asteroids we're going to build space-based weapons. And the funniest one of all was what he called aliens, extraterrestrials. He said that would be the final scare. And over and over, during the four years that she knew him and was giving speeches for him, he would bring up the last card. He would say, Carol, the last card is the alien card. We are going to have to build space-based weapons against aliens, and all of it is a lie. Pretty strong statement. He and, stated and was, that the Korean... Pardon? Yeah, this, it was made so many years ago by somebody who was on the inside. So he really Absolutely. knew what the plans were. Absolutely. He stated that the creation of the one world government would give the government and their corporate partners, and we can see corporations and government coming together right now, is it would give them total control over every being on this planet. So if you think that you have no privacy now, just imagine what it would be like living under a system like this where corporations have every imaginable bit of information on you, and they share it freely with government, okay? So all of that being said, who is it that would not want real disclosure to take place? Well, as in many instances, well, it's pretty simple. Follow the money seems to be the answer. Mm -hmm. right. if, we were op if we were openly visited, by benevolent beings with superior technology, and I believe they are, the vast majority are benevolent. Um, so if we were openly visited by these benevolent beings with superior technology, more than likely they would share some of this technology with us. Now it seems apparent that they have no need of fossil fuel. I mean, they don't pull into your local Exxon station to fill up. Right. And it appears that they've, they've, right, they've mastered the development of free energy. If they were to introduce this to us, what would happen to the oil industry? The very wealthy oil corporations would no longer be needed. And the elite right. that gained so much profit from this industry would see their money and power just go away. Also... We would no longer need the utility companies as we no longer have to be connected to the electrical grid. 
there goes their trillions of dollars in control and power as well. Now, on the bright side, we'd now be able to clean up the earth, the water, the land, the air, and make earth a healthy organism again, which it was meant to be. So, lastly, though, let's not forget Big Pharma, you know, one of my favorites. With superior medical technology, there'd no longer be a need for millions and millions of pills and various meds that only treat symptoms but rarely cure any disease. Thus, their fortunes and power would be lost as well as many others. It appears that we, the public, the average guy, so to speak, and the earth itself would reap many benefits while the elite money controllers of planet earth would suffer devastating losses. Please remember, you know, I'm, I'm just presenting this to you so it's just for your own knowledge and hopefully you will do some research and make a decision on your own. But bottom line, I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of anything really solid as far as what disclosure is coming. I think it's in my opinion, anyway, it's going to be quite disappointing. I think so, you're right. Yep. That's my take on disclosure. You asked for it, and there you got the whole thing. <laughs> well, it's great. It's, it's such a it's a history lesson, too, about where all this got started. Yep. And, you know, I've been watching a lot of the news about this, and mm-hmm. I am completely disturbed by some of the adjectives and and the descriptions they're using. Like when they had the female pilot that was one of the witnesses of the Tic Tac sighting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was so scared. You see, it's like they're setting us up to go into exactly what you just described, this whole fear mantra around these aliens with superior technology. Well, we can't compete with that. We don't have anything like that. They're invading our airspace. So it's like all of the the verbiage that they're throwing out there on television, mm-hmm. it's not designed <clears throat> to educate us. It's designed to scare us so that when yeah. they, if and when they do this fake alien invasion, then we'll all fall in line for them and be be so afraid. Meanwhile, we all know, our audience knows this, and we all know this, extraterrestrials have been here for thousands upon thousands of years. This is nothing Absolutely. new. So just the fact that the government comes out and goes, yeah, we now agree, they, they've been here, you know, and here they are. No, why should we trust that any of that is legitimate? They always have their own agenda, always. And it normally doesn't involve helping the public at all. So we agree. I mean, it's just be be cautious. And I'm glad we're talking about this because I have a real concern that people will be unable to separate fact from fiction. I mean, if the aliens wanted to come in and invade us, they would have done it by now. They're here, as Bob Bigelow said. Absolutely. They're right under our noses. That was his quote on 60 Minutes interview. And they are. So we know that. They are. And And they're not harming anyone. They're not harming anyone. There there may be some bad eggs out there. We have heard about them. But the bottom line is there's also a galactic federation. It prevents that type of invasion. 
The, the mm-hmm. only scary part of this is the government, as you mentioned, has reverse-engineered some of the alien technology. Not all of it, but some of it. Enough well, to I use can, it against, mention, against us. Yeah, I can, I can the, mention something on that, too. Yeah, please. Let me uh, just move some stuff out of my way here. And I think, and oh, that's another thing. The fellow that has, um, what's his name, Alonzo, Louis Alonzo, um, the fellow that was uh, heading up that and um, oh, the government advanced aerospace threat identification program. He has recently come forth on television, and you're supposed to be in awe because he had this high position. And he said, oh, my God, you know, we found out back then, 2009 or, or 12 or whatever it was, that they're real. Oh, something's got to be done. Well, I'm going to say this right out. This is total BS because this government has known what they are and whose they are, who they belong to, since at least... Uh, the 1960s or so. Now, I'll, I'd like to uh, mention Ben Rich. Uh, he was the head of Lockheed Skunk Works, where some of our most advanced technologies, stealth fighters, the SR-71, and so forth came from. This man was in a position to know what was going on. Okay, He yeah. said... There are two types of UFOs, the ones we build and the ones they build. Now, here's the part why I think this Lewis is full of crap. He said, we learn from both crash retrievals and hand-me-downs. The government knew and until 1969 took an active hand in the administration of that information. After a 1969 Nixon purge, administration was handled by an international board of directors in the private sector. Okay, so let's go a little bit further here. Uh, We're going to take John Andrews. He was a Lockheed engineer and a personal friend of Ben Rich. Andrews expressed his own personal opinion that UFOs existed in a letter he wrote to Rich asking Rich to share his own opinion. Uh, Rich responded uh, by letter that there are two types of UFOs, the ones we build, the ones they build. I'm a believer in both categories. Uh, Many of our man-made UFOs are, and he wrote it this way, unfunded opportunities, and he underlined the letters UFO. Okay? And then he goes on to state, Nearly all biomorphic aerospace designs were inspired by the Roswell spacecraft. And that goes for everything from Kelly's SR-71 Blackbird onward to today's drones and aerospace craft. Now, here's the interesting thing with Ben Rich. It was his opinion that the public should not be told about UFOs and extraterrestrials. He believed they couldn't handle the truth ever, okay? But in the last months of his life, during decline, he started to feel that the International Corporate Board of Directors, dealing with the subject, 
could represent a much bigger problem to citizens' personal freedoms under the United States Constitution than the presence of off-world visitors themselves. So here you've got Alonzo saying, we only recently discovered these and they're a threat and whatnot. And you've got Ben Rich, who's obviously in a position to know, saying, all right, we know about this in 1969 and earlier. Yeah. So I think this guy is a front, again, uh, for the government. And I think it's just plain uh, BS and more of the same. Uh, and this ties right in with the so-called disclosure that we're supposed to get. Well, it does. I sound negative and, uh, about the government, don't I? You know, well, I just don't Why should it. we trust any of them when you see what's happened in this country, especially recently? And <clears throat> oh. certainly you've lived a life of invasion by the government, while all the while claiming that UFOs aren't real, but yet they're... They are right on your tail. They were every step of the way. So if they didn't believe oh, that UFOs were real and aliens were, what the heck were they doing bothering you for? Why? Yeah. And they didn't just bother you. I want everybody to know because when I came on to your second investigation, they mm-hmm. bothered me too. And it was yes. extremely unpleasant. So I remember the helicopters over your house. They had, yeah. I had black they were, helicopters. I remember them. Yeah. When when we were at your house, the helicopters came over and they were rattling the windows and whatnot in your house. And I remember that Betty and I were there with you at the time. Yes. Um, and uh, Larry Fawcett also, after he started investigating our case, the helicopters were over his house. Right. And you know they one one particular time, and this was intimidation. Betty and I were up on route two up in Massachusetts, which is really rural. I mean, there's nothing around, far, some farmland maybe mm-hmm. and country. And two uh, Huey UH-1 helicopters without markings took off from the field. Now, I don't know what they were doing in a field in the middle of nowhere. And they crossed over our car, both of them just in front of the car at about 50 feet altitude. Now, that's meant to intimidate you. I don't yes. care. So I gave them uh, I, you know, stuck my hand out the window and gave him a friendly single finger wave. <laughs> that's uh, that's my attitude. Well, but yeah. I had, you know, never had, never had anything anything against the guys that were flying the helicopters because eh, they're just doing what they're told. You know, those well, orders come from much higher, uh, much higher up. Right. And, interestingly, and you guys weren't the only ones who were treated this way. So many, oh, no. if not all, of the abductees or the experiencers who came forward got the same treatment. Yep, absolutely. The um, well, I think I, I did mention that we got threats several times, and the first time we were doing a lecture at MIT, mm-hmm. and I had been filing a lot of stuff on the government, a lot of Freedom of Information Acts and stuff and talking about government involvement and military involvement. And Dr. Hynek was at the uh, lecture. Well, during a break, he ran over to Betty real quick, didn't even say hello. He said, stick to philosophy and leave the military out of this. So, but I think it was nice of him to do that. I think he was telling us that, look, you're getting in an area that might not exactly be the best thing for you. So that was nice of him. In 
Phoenix, Arizona, we were doing a lecture, and during a break, uh, I had quite a few slides of the helicopters and quite a bit of information that I had obtained from uh, former pilots that had actually flown these, uh, not these particular helicopters, but the Hueys and whatnot. And this guy came up to me, and he was, to me, he was obviously military. Had very close crop, you know, buzz cut. His shirt was straight as an arrow, right lined up with the middle of his belt buckle. Pants were tightly creased. Shoes were shiny black. So I took him for either either military or intelligence. And he said, look, he said, we're only sending the helicopter so we don't have to hurt you. And I said, thank you, and he walked away. So that was threat number two. <laughs> the yeah. third time, uh, Betty had her car and I had my car. We worked in different places then. She went out in the morning to go to work, and in the back seat of her car is a big, uh, like a gallon pickle jar, and there was a big chunk of, of rotten meat in it, or dead, dead meat. And oh. I took that to be a bit of a, a bit of a threat as well. But mm-hmm. fortunately, we never listened to any of them, and they never did anything. Thank um, God. I had, I had one bad experience with an airplane, but I, I think it was the airplane. Um, I was learning how to fly, and I had a um, Piper Tomahawk was what I was using. And a brand-new airplane. It didn't have many hours on it at all at the time. So I went and I did my pre-flight, and I got in it, and I went to check the controls. And when I pulled back on the controls, I heard a boing. Uh And what happened, the cable uh, for the elevator either, I don't know if it broke or if it came off the pulley, but had that happened in the air, I would have no control of the airplane up or down. But I think that probably was just a coincidence. Now, a new airplane, maybe it wasn't serviced, the cable probably stretched, hadn't been adjusted or something like that. Because there was never, you know, nothing ever was said about it, so I never took it as anything other than that. Yeah, it, And yeah, much it, of this may of them, we're still here, so. Thank gosh. Oh, well, my goodness. Yeah. Sure. I, yeah, I mean, this is why we wanted you to come on the show, because you've lived through this, so you know what it feels like. You've watched it, you've experienced it, and you also know all of the details and the history of of this whole UFO to UAP event. So, yeah, yeah I mean, there's really no good reason to trust anything, and you know they're not going to tell us everything, uh, there's, there's, they have a lot of explaining to do, Lucy. You know, there's just too much, yeah. and and so I much has been said about agreements to have let people be abducted and yeah, use people however you want. I mean, that that could create an even bigger problem for the government that they just were happy to turn their citizens over to extraterrestrials. Sure. Well, I, I think that, like I said, the government is in bed with the giant corporations and the money, the elite. And it would be very, it would be devastating for the elite if this technology was ever really brought to the public. I mean, can you see if you had a unit that you could put in the basement of your house and have heat, hot water, electricity, and all that, and you wouldn't have to have the lines hooked up, uh, you know, the utility company, and you wouldn't need to get oil for your furnace and all that? Oh, my God, they would would be... uh, devastated but that's exactly what that technology could do and that reminds me of something that i forgot in the beginning i wanted to mention because way back when i started talking about this um 
after I had been in Florida, which was 2000, we moved to Florida. I was working for a company uh, called Energy Partners, and I was a research technician on hydrogen fuel cells. So this company had developed a unit for your home that made heat, hot water, and electricity, and made zero pollution. The only thing, the only exhaust that came out of this unit was pure water. No pollution whatsoever. It had one filter that had to be changed yearly. Uh, it was quite expensive at the time because we hadn't gone into manufacturing. It, was, it ran about $75,000 at the time to, to build them. Um, it was about the size of a refrigerator. Put it in your basement. You got heat, hot water, and electricity. Well, we were just ready, or they were just ready, to buy a factory to go into production. And we thought, wow, this is great. So one day we come into work, and there's a big sign on the door that said, all employees go to the Ramada Inn, a certain room. So we went, and we're, everybody's all excited. Boy, we, they got a factory. We're going to start producing these and all. Well, that bubble got burst pretty quick because we were met by attorneys from ExxonMobil. And it seems that they had bought the place out. It seems that we all got canned right then and there. We never got to go back to work that day. And we got a severance package, and we had to sign non-disclosure agreements. Well, I have been looking for the longest time since then about 20 years to see where those are available in the U.S. And the simple truth is, they're not. So, where the heck, you know, what happened? They, they locked up this technology so that we can't, the public can't have it. So, I'm, I want to read you something that I downloaded just well, a day or two ago. Just as Toyota is working to replace the gasoline in its cars with hydrogen fuel cells, Japanese companies are leading the charge to convince homeowners they're better off using hydrogen to power their lamps and TVs, too. The electricity is generated by so-called energy farms about the size of a refrigerator. They oh are made God. by companies such as Panasonic, Toshiba, and sold by leading utilities including Tokyo Gas. Uh, E&E Farms dangle the promise that most abundant element in the universe, which is hydrogen, will offer a safer, cleaner, more efficient alternative to nuclear power or fossil fuels. Because a standard home unit costs about $16,700, most consumers have been hesitant to buy. But since commercial sales begin, now listen to this, in 2009, more than 100,000 Japanese households have installed generators that use hydrogen. Now, that's a long way from where the government wants to be. They set a goal of 5.3 million hydrogen power homes, which is about 10% of their total population by 2030. Uh, the use of hydrogen can continue to save energy, tackling environmental issues, increasing energy security, blah, blah, blah. But here's my whole point. We had that in 2000, and yet it's not available today in the United States. However, 
these companies are making use of it in Japan. Now, how nice would it be to have something like that in your home that was not affected by lack of sunshine or by hurricanes or by bad weather? You know what I mean? Yes. And yet we we are deprived. Exactly. This is why the disclosure is not going to give up anything that is going to help us as far as energy efficient or clean uh, technology. Um, in fact, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, train, where the hell did it go? Um, <laughs> well, they're definitely keeping uh, all of this. They're, they're going to continue to keep all of this technology from us. Oh, yeah. Well, they want are, slaves. I, they don't want us to be sovereign people. They want us to be slaves. Exactly. Working so hard to pay our taxes, the taxes on everything, property, yep. sales oh. tax, I mean, it, inheritance, you right. name it. You get taxed on everything. It, That's what they want. If this isn't bad we enough, Patricia, yeah, for sure. But if this not, isn't bad enough, I mean, this is one thing. There are over 5,000 patents on highly energy-efficient mechanisms that are classified so they are unavailable to the public. Okay? Well, that's disgusting. And you can, yeah, you can, you can look that up for yourself on the web. Uh, you know, why are they doing this to us? It's all, unfortunately, about the dollars, about the big, greedy corporations and again, I would love to see the beings come down here and give us this technology where the government couldn't stop it and take these greedy you-know-whats and just let their money and their power dwindle away and then people could live like they want to be, like they want to live and we could clean up this earth, which we've been, it's amazing what we've done to this planet and then we've we got to live here. Once this planet's gone, uh, guess what? We're going to be gone too. Nothing left. Right. Oh, not very good. Okay, there's another little subject I would like to touch on. Yeah, please. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've heard uh, oh, what's it, uh, David Wilcock. He's been talking yeah. a lot about a solar flare, uh, mm-hmm. a huge uh, CME. Okay. Well, when I first heard that, I figured, yeah, no, nah, I don't think so. No, but... Betty wrote down all the messages that she got from the beings back in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. And there was one section. I, I wanted to copy it on the computer and send it to you, but I have, after a lightning storm today, I have no Internet still, um, where they mention uh, solo um, supranova and they show a sun, and, and it's like radiating rays out from it. Uh-huh. And the words, the words with it, and I, I can't tell you exactly because I don't have it in front of me now, but it said something like, uh, those in the west will not feel the waves, but those in the east will suffer the graves. It said the earth will blacken and then turn gray. And I forget the very last part of it, but it's something like nothing will grow and it's going to be devastating for that part of the earth. Now, I hope 
or I think when they say east, they're talking about real east, you know, like Europe, uh, Russia, you know, <laughs> over that area, I hope, yeah. and not here. Asia. But it, it, it's, it's amazing how close that prediction that was given to Betty uh, almost mirrors what David Wilcock has been saying. And like I say, it was it was kind of a surprise to me because uh, at first I thought, no, the sun is stable, it's been here, it's only halfway through its lifetime and stuff like that. But apparently there may be some problems. And what's a little scary is they have um, watched other stars, our neighbors, you know, four, four less than ten light years away, that have emitted these big solar flashes from time to time. So maybe we are going to get one. If if he's right, uh, I think he was predicting something like 2024, 2025, something like that area. So it's interesting. Hmm. We're just going to have to keep our eyes open. Yeah. Now, uh, going along again with the lies, I hope you don't mind. I'm just jumping around as things no, come in my ahead. head. No, go ahead. Please. Great. <laughs> okay. We got Gary McKinnon. Uh, now, he's a Scottish computer systems administrator and a known hacker. Okay? In 2002, he perpetrated the biggest military computer hack of all time. He got into a number of our Defense Department computers. Okay? Uh-huh. Now, the United States wanted. Uh, to extradite him, and they wanted to get him here and put him in jail for 70 years. But doesn't sound like fun. Okay. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, in the UK, somebody has got a brain, and they are not releasing him. Okay. But the interesting thing is, what did he find out when he was hacking our computers? Mm-hmm. Well, he found out that the Navy has a list of ships that don't match any ships that are in water. And he found out that the Navy has a list of non-terrestrial officers. Okay? Now, non-terrestrial means not on this earth. So, he looked up the ships, and none of the ships that are on the water match these other ones, which are apparently part of what I guess would be the secret space force. Uh, but you, you have to remember, this happened back in 2002. Now, a lot of people say that the secret space force has been going on for a lot longer than that, but this just kind of ties it all together because if if he didn't wasn't legitimately in their computers, they wouldn't want to put him away for 70 years. And That's he has true. no reason to lie. Yeah, he had no reason to lie, but he said he was looking for evidence of free energy suppression and a cover-up of UFO activity. And, boy, he found them. He found the, the whole list of, ship, of non-terrestrial officers and ships whose names could not be found in any list of naval vessels. So... Uh, this is another thing that they might, I don't know if they might release that in disclosure, that we do have a Space Force, even though Trump said that he just initiated it. He really didn't because it's been up there for a long time. And years ago, 
uh, Betty and I talked to a Dr. Murphy, who was a military man, and he drew me a diagram of a craft, and he said that the military had invented it. And this this was way back in the 80s. Um, we met him at a conference in New York. And the man was high up in the military, and he had a lot of very wealthy friends. Um, I'm talking like the Rockefellers and, and like that. So maybe he was legitimate. Maybe he was putting this on. I don't know. But I save everything. I've still got the, the letter, the drawing he made, all of that stuff. Because it's so hard to know at the time if somebody has been really honest. You know, sometimes you wish you could carry a little pocket lie detector with you. <laughs> That's right. You, That'd be nice. I know. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, it really shouldn't. But it is. And here's the other thing you brought up is how the Navy had these ships and the list well, of non-terrestrial. That's very important because a lot of people don't realize that the Navy was one of the first, if not the only, uh, branch of our armed services in 1945 or whatever that started mm-hmm. psychic warfare projects. The first one was Project Penguin. They've been involved in paranormal and UFOs, where you would think the UFOs would be only under the jurisdiction of the Air Force, but that's not the case. Well, you know, that probably served the Air Force, uh, served the Navy well during the uh, time because they pretty much had a free hand to do whatever they needed to do without being bothered by a lot of stupid people filing freedom of information requests on them and stuff. <laughs> the, the Air Force got stuck with it, and the Navy did the work. Yeah, the Navy had it and, all along. It's, yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, speaking of the Navy, uh, I think I brought this up before. The Navy has its own UFO that is triangular shape has anti-gravity, and it's a craft that, according to the patent, uses an inertial mass reduction device, which means the thing weighs next to nothing and is capable of incredible speeds, either in space, in the atmosphere, even underwater, because the way it is made, the water never touches the vehicle when it's underwater. Okay? This is extremely advanced technology, and again, I know people are going to say, oh, he's full of crap, this and that. So anybody that wants to take a minute can go to the patent company, the patent department, <laughs> look up patent number 101445332, and that patent was issued to the United States, uh, the United States period, and I believe the person that signed it or was responsible for it was the Secretary of the Navy. But anybody can check on that. And this guy that invented it is he's probably two or three grades above Einstein because not only did he invent this craft, he invented a room temperature um, superconductor, which is up till now thought to be impossible. Oh he also has a patent. He also has a patent on that. And... I have all the information on that on this craft in front of me, but it is the guy's name is Salvador Pius, he, which means savior, savior of the country or something like that in Spanish. But anyway, um, 
I could read all this stuff off that I haven't, but it's so technical and whatnot, I, your people would be sleeping before I ever finished the page. <laughs> and well, I, I don't understand half of it. <laughs> yeah. But, but you're uh, right. You know, people can't yeah, do their own so, research. They can look into any of this. And the people that are truly awake and understand what's going on in the world today and have known that UFOs are real, that aliens are real, that interdimensionals are real, all of these things exist. They are highly intelligent, and they understand this. So whatever the government comes out with, it'll be interesting, but it's not the be-all and end-all, Right. Oh, no, I'd, I'd take it with a grain of, grain of salt. And the, the other thing about it being a threat, the beings told Betty a long, long time ago, I think it was in 1967, um, they said that they love mankind, but they said mankind is going in the wrong directions and it's better to save some than lose all. So maybe there is some cataclysmic event going to happen or whatever and some are going to be picked up by UFOs which uh, I guess in Christian terminology could be the rapture mm-hmm. uh, I don't know you know but a number of people that I have talked to have had dreams of fleets many many UFOs flying over uh, at, at low altitudes and whatnot. and I hate I almost hate to admit it but I had that dream myself and it was a dream, but there were thousands of UFOs flying very low over all the homes and whatnot. So maybe I had the dream because other people talked about it first, or maybe it means something. I really don't know. Well, but yeah. I'm ready to go if that's the case. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's really too bad that through the years, at least our understanding is that they did make deals with the government. I mean, I know some of them were working directly with people within our population, but that's Mm -hmm. really the only way because our government is so off-base and so self-serving. They're not doing their job anymore. And so why shouldn't these aliens and interdimensionals come to us directly? Why go through this government of corruption? And secret That's what they're going to do. And Good, I By the way, so. a, little, a, a little funny note. Did you see uh, last, I guess it was last week, Obama was on a late-night TV show, and he mm-hmm. said that, yes, uh, you know, the UFOs exist and all. And he, according to him, we don't know what they are, which is bull crap. But anyways, yeah. somebody asked uh, Biden at a recent... <laughs> One of his recent uh, impromptu conferences, somebody uh-huh. asked Biden about the UFO phenomena. He says, ask Obama. <laughs> <laughs> and then he left without even taking his translator off. There's oh, <laughs> nothing yeah. like having a president that's right out there to give answers to the public when they need them. Yeah, right, right. Uh-huh. Who's on first? Uh-huh. It's really crazy. It's crazy time. It's Exactly. Oh, my goodness. But, it, it really is. It's, it, it's, I don't even want to start talking about it because I would like to sleep well tonight. But <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, I'm just hoping after this now we don't see more helicopters over here. Yeah. We haven't seen them for a long time, Patricia, Wait, and I uh, don't really want to see them come back. No, no, it's, we don't. Well, it, 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 hopefully they, they will like not. They, but we we do need to be aware nah. Bob, of everything you said tonight, because what you talked about was extremely important for people to know. 
and to keep yeah. you know vigilant about this that yes the the aliens have been here for thousands of years no they would never hurt us and invade us on a large scale that's not their plan and Absolutely so if that happens correct. we have to raise a few eyebrows and go hold hold up this has got to be coming well, from somewhere did else did you see not how the they aliens. even yeah, but did you see how they even announced that the government is going to make this bombshell announcement? It's going to be more yeah. like a little firecracker. It would be, yeah. But again, they're trying, like you said, you brought this up. They're trying to scare us. They're trying to get us in line. Well, just remember, everybody, you don't have to fall in line, well, especially when something is as phony as that. So, well, Bob, yeah. well, I just want to thank you again for a, another exciting and wonderful and informative evening with you. Thank you so much. Wow, with that time already. Yeah. See, now, you ladies, oh, you ladies are so you? enjoyable to talk to and all. I mean, the time just flies oh. by. It really <laughs> does. And, and, and I enjoy immensely talking to you guys. Oh, thank you. Well, we oh. absolutely love having you on the show because you are so brilliant. You have so much good information, and it really makes us all think about what is happening well, and what's about to happen. Let's hope something good is coming up. And by the way, I just want to say at the very beginning of the show, PK scared the daylights out of me when she was talking about watching contracts and whatnot, because I have a closing tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Now I'm going to have to read everything twice. <laughs> Please do. We're in the yeah. shadow period. That is bad. But Mercury, it doesn't, it, retrograde doesn't start for a couple of days, so you're good. You're good. We're in the shadow okay. period. He's got, yeah. You're okay. Well, that's it. I'll sleep better, and I, and I thank both of you so much for having me on. Oh, our pleasure, it. Bob. Thank you. Love to you and Betty. And next week we'll be back with another great show, everybody. Until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. All right. Good night, all. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls.